you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask that you'd find two places with us today. Mark chapter 3, as we are going verse by verse through the book of Mark, and also John chapter 16. We have been looking at the issues of the heart. We started in chapter 3 when we saw the religious leaders and Jesus said to them, literally, why are you hardening your heart? We looked in verses 7 through 12 about the multitudes were following Jesus, but for the wrong reason. They were coming to get something from Him, not because they loved Him. We looked the last week in the twelve apostles about how God had brought them to Himself, but yet Judas Iscariot revealed his heart that he did not love God and that he was there for the wrong reason. But today as we come to this text, it is probably a text that should cause all of us to stop because Jesus tells us the one sin that cannot be forgiven. You say, well, Jake, I know what I think it would be. It would be murder or lying or thieving or something of that nature, but yet all of those sins can be forgiven. But yet Jesus tells us there is a sin that cannot be forgiven. And so when you and I think about heaven and hell, life and death, this one should stand out. Because if this is something that can keep me from being forgiven, I should listen. This is eternity on the line. And I want to read this to you because most of you probably like me, are you thinking, well, how does this apply? What does this look like? How can two people sit in the same service, hear the same sermon, and one person get up angry at God or not caring at all, and the other person leaving thinking, God, you have changed my life. God, you have saved my soul. God, you've brought me back as I have been wandering. It is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing I can say that can change your life. There's nothing I can sing that can change your life for the better. But the Spirit of God at work, convicting, drawing, dealing with us, produces results. But the question is, why do some people respond and some don't? Why will some people who sit in the same row as you spend eternity in hell when you, who have found eternal life in Jesus, will spend eternity in heaven? How can two children raised in the same home by the same parents, one grow up to love God, to care about the things of God, and the other grow up to hate God, to hate the church, or just not care? 2 Thessalonians Paul writes about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, those who are going to hell, those who will die and spend eternity away from God, there is deception. They have been deceived. Because they did not receive the love of truth that they might be saved. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is this, that God loved you so much that He took on flesh, that He lived a perfect life, that He went to the cross and took your sin and mine, that He died for your sins and for mine, was buried and rose again. He loves you. He wants to save you. The Bible says that hell was created for Satan and his fallen angels, not for man. 
But it says here that they did not receive the love of truth. That's why the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you reject the gospel that God has offered to you, you will perish. But look what it says in verse 11. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusions. You say, well, that doesn't sound right. It should say Satan sends strong delusion. No, it says God does. That they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned. You say, wait a second. I thought you said it was a choice that we respond to the gospel, but don't miss the rest of that verse, who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. When God convicts you of your sin, and under conviction you look at God and say, no, I love my sin more than I could ever love you, God. I love my wickedness. I love my unbelief. I love my freedom to do what I want more than you, God. I don't need you. God says, okay. If that's what you want, I can give it to you. That's a scary thought. That's why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today, harden not your heart. You say, well, Jake, I know I'm saved. How does this affect me? You ever met someone that's been in church their whole life and they are cold, dead, and miserable? It is because every time a sermon is preached and there's sin in their heart, it just hardens a little bit more. It hardens a little bit more. Because the Word of God is either a stumbling block to you or it is what sets you free. The Gospel is what saves you or it is what crushes you. You say, Jake, what does that mean for me? The question is, have you committed the only sin that could ever be not forgiven? If you would stand with me and read in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 28. Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan if a kingdom is divided against itself? That kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up from among himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. And don't miss these words. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. I want to read from you Mark chapter 12 because I want you to see that it's not just mentioned in the Word of God one time. In Mark Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 31, it says, Therefore I say to you, every sin, no matter what sin you come breaking, And blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. 
But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Pray with me. Father, today as we tackle one of the most challenging and most serious topics in all of Your Word, I pray for clarity. Clarity of mind for me to speak Your words. Lord, I pray for a clarity of mind and an open heart, Lord, in Your people and those who are listening today. Lord, only Your Spirit can reveal truth. Only Your Spirit can bring conviction. Only Your Spirit can work for power and glory for Your name. And so I pray that You would do that. Lord, if there's anything in my heart or life that would grieve or quench Your Spirit today, I ask Your forgiveness. And I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so when you look at this, the question is, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Some people will say it's more of a warning. Other people will say it's any time you look at a Pentecostal movement and say that's not of God. And so what we're going to do is something different than what we usually do. We're going to look today at what the Holy Spirit is actually doing in the world today. That way we can know what blasphemy is. Because if you don't know who the Holy Spirit is and what He is doing, you won't understand what this means. So we have to establish how is God at work and what do we do to reject His work or to give Him credit that causes us to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So if you would find John chapter 16 with me as we look at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16. I only have one point today. Just one. And so if you listen and participate, we will be done quickly. But I did not want to put all of this in one sermon that lasted an hour and 15 minutes. So if you promise that you'll watch it and be involved the next couple of weeks, I'll just preach one. I brought all four of them with me, okay? They're all here. I can do it. But the first service listened so, so well. Starting in verse 5 of chapter 16. John chapter 16. Listen to Jesus' words on the Holy Spirit. But now I go away to Him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. Comforter means helper. It means advocate. And when He has come, and so now that He is at work in the world today, now that He came on the day of Pentecost, what is He doing? How is He working that I need to pay attention to? And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in Me. Today I want to talk to you about the number one way that you can know what the Spirit is doing is that He shows us our sins. He shows us our sins. If you look there in that passage of Scripture, it says that His first job, His first mission is to convict the world of sin. Now the Holy Spirit does many things. He seals you when He saves you. He indwells you at the moment of salvation. He encourages you. He equips you. He does all kinds of things. But how He interacts with the world, first of all, is through conviction. 
That means when you're sitting here today in a service like this and the Word of God is being preached and something begins to speak in your heart that my heart is not right with God, it is not me. It's not the songs that were sung. It is the Holy Spirit of God who is beginning to deal with you and beginning to deal with me about something in my life that should not be there. If you're here and you're not a Christian, what He begins to say is, is you're an enemy of God. You have broken God's law. You are a rebel and you need forgiveness. This text tells us He convicts us of sin He convicts us of righteousness. That means that He points to Jesus' perfection on the cross and what He did for us. And then it says judgment. That there is going to be a judgment for all who fall under conviction and then who reject the free gift of salvation. And then there is a judgment. And I don't want you to miss this today because some of us would say, well, Jake, I'm not that bad. I've never really sinned. I've never really done anything that I would say is terrible. But listen to what the Word of God says in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black or white, slave or free. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your story. All of us have sinned against God. All of us have broken the commandments of God. All of us have had unbelief in our heart at some point. And what this says is the grace of God and faith is what it takes to be saved. There's nothing else you can add to the grace of God that saves you. You say, well, Jake, I believe baptism helps get you to heaven. No! If it's grace, then it's grace. You say, well, I believe the Lord's Supper helps you. No! It's either the grace of God or it's nothing. You say, well, Jake, I give a lot of money or I come to church all the time or I've been on mission trips or I've preached great sermons or I've seen people healed when I prayed. All of those are wonderful things. All of those are things I hope that you can experience. But none of them saves you from your sins. The great problem I see in the American church, in this one and those around, is that most people do not see themselves as sinners. We don't see ourselves as having a problem. We don't see ourselves as being broken. God made me this way. This is what I like. This is what I enjoy. But yet the Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's the Holy Spirit's job, to convict you of sin. As the Word of God is being preached, whatever your sin is, it doesn't matter what it is, the Spirit of God will begin to reveal that to you. That unforgiveness in your heart, you've got to get rid of it. That pride in your wealth, you've got to get rid of it. That guilt that Satan keeps destroying you with because of your past, you've got to let go of it. The Holy Spirit of God begins to work. He begins to move in our hearts, in our lives, in our marriages, in our families. You say, well, Jake, why do we not see God do more things in that area? This is what I believe, and you can disagree with me and be wrong. It doesn't bother me at all, all right? The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. 
quench not the Holy Spirit. You know why people aren't getting saved in most churches? It has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with the fact that there is sin in the hearts of God's people. God will do greater and more majestic things if we'll just let Him. God can do what He wants, when He wants, how He wants, but for some reason, and I don't understand it, I don't even agree with it all the time. He says, quench not the Spirit. Friends, sin in your life is what is hindering God from doing more through you. Sin in your marriage is what is keeping God from doing more as a couple. Sin in your life is hindering God doing more in your life, in this church. God is willing to work. He's willing to save. He's willing to move. And He doesn't need perfect people. He needs humble people. People who are willing to say, God, we know that we're sinners. God, we know that we have a problem. God, we know that we need You. But if you and I walk into this church acting like we're perfect, acting like we're holy, acting like we've got it all figured out, you can just expect for that thing that we just started watching today to start drying up. You'll stop hearing people being saved. Why? Because God works and God moves where His people are willing. You say, Jake, I don't know if I believe that. What does the Bible say? If you seek Him, you will find Him. If you draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. That's who God is. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. All God is all-places. But for some reason, He says, I will work where I am wanted. You know what the great thing is, though? If God doesn't work here, He'll work somewhere. But you know what I want? I want God to work right stinking here. I want God to work through this preacher. I want God to work through your Sunday school class. I want God to work through this mission committee. I want God to work through this church. I want Him to work through other ones as well. But those aren't my concern. This is where God has placed me. If you go to church here, this is where God has placed you. If you serve here, this is where God has called you to be. And He wants you to be a part of what He's doing. So what is the Spirit doing in the hearts of people? He's one, convicting us of sin. Two, He's warning us not to keep our unbelief. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Beware. That means this is a warning. Be on guard. Don't fall asleep at the wheel. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily why it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. He writes this to a group of church-going people. And he says, make sure that your heart believes who Jesus is. You see, that is the sin that condemns. That is the sin that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It is when the Spirit of God begins to convict you and He points you to Jesus and says, Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus made a way for you. Jesus can change your life. Jesus can forgive you of your sins. Jesus can save you. Jesus can change you. And you look at Him and say, it's not needed. That's not of God. 
That's what they had did, right? They said that the man who had been demon-possessed and set free, that wasn't God. The man who had been lame and sick and couldn't walk, those people had been changed, but God didn't do it. It was some power of Satan. It was some influence of the devil. And Jesus says, no, you have to acknowledge and admit that I am Him. I am the Son of God. I am the one who the Old Testament speaks of. And He looks right at the religious leaders and says, you should know better. You've had the Word of God. You've seen the sacrifices. You've seen the signs, but yet you have hardened your heart. And today you say, well, Jake, what does that mean for me? This is what it means. If you're here today and you're under conviction and you tell God no, friends, your heart will just get a little harder. And it'll get a little harder. You say, Jake, I don't agree with that. What did it say? Today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of your sins. Your sin will convince you that it's not a big deal. I know I've rejected God, but it's not a big deal. I'll get it right later. Most likely you won't. Because every time you hear a sermon, every time you say no, if God is beginning to crack at that stony heart, He'll continue to crack at it. But some people in their stubbornness and rebellion, God will say, okay, if you want a heart of stone, you can have it. And you'll begin to harden your heart and harden your heart and harden your heart. Today, that is the question. Is the Spirit of God working on you? Is He convicting you? Is He dealing with you? Because today, God says, don't put it off! Because it might just grow colder and colder and colder. He says that's the warning. When the Spirit of God is convicting you, when the Spirit of God is revealing to you who Jesus is, today, make it right. You see, truly what sends us to hell is not our sin. It is rejecting the light that has been given to us. It is rejecting the gift that has been offered to us. In John chapter 3, the most famous verse in all of the Bible, John chapter 3 verse 16. But don't miss the verses that come after it. Listen to what it says. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. It didn't say shall be saved, because not everyone will believe. But what He says is He was sent for the world to know that you can have eternal life. You can have forgiveness. You can be set free. You can have a value. You can have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. God can change you and set you free just like He did all of these people that He came into contact with. But don't miss this. The Holy Spirit does miracles, but that's not His main objective. The Holy Spirit can give sight to the blind physically, but that's not His main objective. The Holy Spirit uses miracles so that you can have a fresh testimony in this community to what God can do for them. I believe the greatest sin a Christian commits is when God does a miracle in their life and they won't tell anybody about it. God has worked in your life, but yet you will not share it with anybody. But listen to what this verse goes on and says. He who believes in Him is not condemned. 
But he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. You see, you and I blaspheme the Holy Spirit when He convicts us of sin, when He reveals the truth of God to us, and we say, that's not of God. It's not for me. The more light we are given, the more opportunities we have, greater the judgment. You say, Jake, I don't agree with that at all. Well, I'm glad that you feel that way, but I'd like to prove you wrong. Jesus, looking at the city of Capernaum where His home base was, where He worked and where He lived and where He moved, He said, if the miracles done in Sodom and Gomorrah, the miracles that have been done here, if they had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have believed. But on the day of judgment, it will be worse for you than it is for them. Friends, today God is willing to shine light into your darkness. God is willing through the power of the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin. But when that happens, you have to say, Lord, I love you more than I love my sin. I want the light more than I want my evil deeds. Lord, I want your forgiveness and salvation more than I want my selfishness and pride. That's what the Pharisees did. It was the fact that they did not want to acknowledge that Jesus was the Son of God, that He was the King of kings, the Lord of lords. They wanted to keep their life their way. And it started with hardening their heart. And it started with even getting to the point where when God set someone free, they blamed it on Satan. And friends, what it shows us here is it was a rejection of who Jesus is. Even though the Spirit is at work. And the same thing will send you to hell today. Is when God convicts you, when God deals with you, when the Holy Spirit is working in you, and you say, no, I reject the love of God for my life. I reject the mercy of God for my life. I reject the salvation of God for my life. I am fine where I am. What you have done is you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit as He is convicting and working in you. What does that mean? This is what I think it means. One, I think it means at some point in everyone's life, the Holy Spirit convicts them. No one dies without a witness. The Bible says even in nature you can look at in Romans chapter 1 and know that there's a God. And if you look out and know that there's a God in Revelation, in Romans chapter 1 and want to be saved, I believe God will make sure that you hear and you know how to be saved. But what it says here is, harden not your heart. It says, refuse not. Don't love evil more than good when the Spirit of God begins to work. And so if that's what the Spirit of God is doing in your heart today, know this, God wants you to respond. The Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God takes no pleasure when someone refuses his act of mercy and love and grace. God takes no pleasure when someone leaves this world 
and splits hell wide open. But friends, the Spirit has been at work. The Spirit will be at work. And so as I close today, I ask you that simple question. Someone said, Jake, how do I know if I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit? If you're worried about it, you haven't. Because if you have, your heart is so cold and so dead that you don't care. Friends, the only thing that you have to do today if the Spirit of God is dealing with you is say, Lord, here I am. Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner because Your Spirit convicted me. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ died upon the cross, was buried and rose again. And I'm going to confess You as the Lord and Savior of my life. And the Bible says that if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. I'm going to say something and I didn't come up with this, All right, This is not an original J. Gray. It'll be good, that's what you're saying. In a courtroom, you are convicted of your crime and then comes the sentencing. That's how it goes. You are convicted and then you are sentenced. But when John was writing about the Holy Spirit, he says you are convicted of sin. There is something that happens. And then there's judgment. We're going to look at this next week. But that righteousness stands between your guilt and your judgment. And what that righteousness is, is the Holy Spirit convicts you that Jesus died for you. That He is perfect. And if you will accept Him as your Lord and Savior, His righteousness is given to you. We call it imputed righteousness. That means His perfection is attributed to me when God looks at me. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. And so right between conviction and judgment, John says the Holy Spirit will reveal to you and me you can be saved. You can know God, have a relationship with Him, and experience eternal life. It's just like if a judge said you are guilty of whatever crime you've committed. I am going to sentence you to eight years in prison. And someone comes barging into the courtroom and says, I will take the eight years for them. Your judgment is imputed to them. And their freedom is imputed to you. And friends, when Jesus was on the cross, and the Bible says the Father poured out the judgment for the sins of the whole world, that meant yours. And today, if you're under conviction, it's not this church, it's not this preacher, it's the fact that God loved you so much to deal with your heart and your soul and your life. The warning is, if you're sitting here today and you say, Jake, my sin is just fine. I'm just fine like I am. I don't need Him. I don't want Him. Friends, I want you to look up here. Your heart is hardening. You say, Jake, I don't like the sound of that. I don't make it up. It's just what it says. But if you're listening to my voice and you know it's happening, that's the Spirit of God.
saying you have one more chance. You might have another chance. I don't know how long God will give you, but I can promise you when you take your last breath and that unforgiveness is still in your life, when that rejection of Jesus is still in your life, when you stand before God, it is the one sin that cannot be forgiven at that point because it's too late. It's too late. But today, God has given you another chance to respond, to be saved, to rededicate whatever it needs in your heart. He's given you one more chance, at least. Father, today I thank You for Your Word. Not mine, but Yours. Lord, I pray today that You will remove anything from my heart, from my life, that would grieve and quench Your Spirit. Lord, I pray for us as a church that whatever is here that is quenching, that is grieving Your Spirit, Lord, that we would ask for Your forgiveness. Lord, let us be moldable and responsive and brokenhearted and humble that You might work. Father, thank You for the salvations. And Lord, we pray for more. Lord, thank You for the lives that are being changed. And we pray for more. But Lord, we know that You get all the credit. And if Your Spirit is not at work in this time, Lord, we know that nothing will happen. And so we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.